Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. People literally think that they only want immigration of their kind of people. That's what they want. We sit on the Waiheke Ferry and we go, there's so many Brits here, where are all the palms from? <laughs> that's not the immigration that people talk about, but that's such a large percentage of the immigration. We had visitors and they said, oh, well, you've got the expat lifestyle. And I was like, hang on a minute, just because I'm white, it doesn't mean I'm an expat, right? I'm literally an immigrant. That's just a weird thing that we do in our brain, but we all somehow buy into it. I'm Sarade. And I'm Julie. This year, we travelled with our soundy Joey across Aotearoa to eavesdrop on immigrant whānau talking with their children. Every family we visited welcomed us, made us laugh, honestly made us cry. And over this series, we invite you too to listen in on Conversations with My Immigrant Parents. In this episode, we spent a whole two days with the Blahas. On Waiheke Island. It was so nice. We actually slept over. We got to hang out with their dogs. They cooked us a meal. So much good food. And there was reggae playing the whole time. So in this family, we've got Francisco, who is the dad, Vipika, who is the mum, and their two kids, Kika, who's 14, and Felix, who's 17. And they live on Waiheke Island. Francisco works in fisheries, and he's away for a good chunk of the year, something that we'll hear more about in the podcast. Francisco is Argentinian, and he immigrated to Aotearoa in August of 1995. And his wife, Vipika, although she was born here, she's Dutch by heritage, and she moved back to Holland when she was three. She was raised there and then came back to Aotearoa when she was 24. So let's meet the family. We'll let Kika kick off the introductions. Francisco Ignacio Blaha is my dad. He is sort of big and intimidating, but also the most wholesome man you'll ever meet. Where's he from? Oh, <laughs> yeah, see, that's the thing. I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's Argentina. But I can't tell. <laughs> I know you don't like talking about me, but like, yeah, well, <laughs> unfortunately, this is Felix. <laughs> Felix Icablaha. Uh, I still remember how much I was trembling when he was born. Uh, I never thought I would have a family, and then here is Felix. He was the cutest boy, but perhaps the most annoying boy as well at the time. But it was just so good to have him, and he's become his own man, and that's what I admire the most of him. <laughs> It's true, he's his, own he's his own man, he's just himself. Uh, this is Kirsten Vibica Brethauer. She didn't take Francisco's name, Blaha. Uh, people call her Vibica, but her actual name is Kirsten, which she didn't use because she's from Holland, or well, Netherlands, where everyone's called Kirsten. <laughs> um, you were actually born in New Zealand. Yes. You knew English from a young age, but you were raised in Holland. And as a result, I always put my ethnicity as just European other, which I think really gets the whole <laughs> spirit of the thing. Of the thing. You're a graphic designer, but yeah. 
right, you go. Okay, so I'm introducing Kika. This is Kika Iri Marlena Blaha Brett Howard. <laughs> <laughs> um, she's my daughter. She's 14 years old. She was born here in New Zealand at home on the North Shore. We live on Waiheke Island, but Kika goes to school in a city in Auckland. And so during the week, she's in boarding school. But right now it's school holidays. So yay, <laughs> we've got Kika home. And she is now taller than me. <laughs> and the responsible of why we're here. Yeah, she's, she's yeah. and she's at the head of the table usually. Anyway, that's Kika. I'm going to get into what I wanted to know this whole other time. A, precisely where are you from? And B, precisely how did you get here? I know that. You don't know this one. I grew up in the border between Argentina and Paraguay. You guys been there? A place called Iberá. My dad is Austrian. My mom is part Russian-German. They were Volga-Deutsche. We were Germans that in the 17th century moved to Russia and then we were expulsed, so they moved either to Canada or to Brazil. So, that is on my mom's side, and uh, they mixed a bit with locals. And then uh, they met and decided that it would be a good idea to stay together. And Sorry. they have two kids, and I was one of them. Your so. mom grew up in a German-speaking yeah. community yeah. in the north of Argentina. Argentina. Yeah. And my dad was an Austrian anthropologist who went there to work with uh, the Guarani people. So that's uh, where I grew up. And uh, I had to go to uh, another town for primary school. Then in the Navy. And then I left the Navy. And then uh, decided to go fishing because I love boats and I hate discipline. So I worked as a fisherman and paid university and did both for a while. And then in 1991, I got my master's and I was tired of living in a society that I thought was very unfair. And I always had this fascination from the Pacific. And so I got on a sailing boat and moved to the Pacific and uh, then jumped off the sailing boat and started working in fishing boats to Tahiti, Cook Islands, Fiji, Samoa, Tonga. Then after a few years, I was in Tonga and they asked me to bring a boat down to New Zealand to do survey, which is like the world of fitness. And you couldn't do it in Tonga. So I arrived here and I went to a party that first weekend. I didn't know anyone. So I was walking around town and there was this terrible place. It's called the Loaded Hog. And, you know, I had long hairs and I saw these two guys with rasters and I followed them. <laughs> follow the rasters. You know, if you want a good party, you follow the rasters. <laughs> and that night I met pretty much half the people I met in New Zealand. And then, so I basically decided, went to the boat and said, I'm not coming back. So I took a job and with that, I applied for residency. And uh, on the 16th September of 1996, I got my residency. And I remember that perfectly because I woke up in the morning and I got a phone call and the guy went, hi, Francisco, I'm so-and-so. I'm your uh, case manager from Immigration New Zealand. And I said, oh, yeah, that's cool. Yeah, I said, uh, uh, yesterday your residence came true, but I saw that it was your birthday today. So I thought that I'd call you with the big news and as a birthday present. And it still still gives me goosebumps. Aww. So, yeah, that's the reason I'm still in New Zealand. This is why I think you're so wholesome. <laughs> <laughs> this whole family is so wholesome. True. <laughs> They're such good storytellers. Mm. Like, 
Francisco has so many anecdotes. You know? I think I'm, I missed a few of them. Yeah, you, you were having a phone call and he yeah. told us a lot of stories. And also how many times he's been injured so in his times. life. And in some gnarly and badass ways. Like, yeah. I think he's been hit by a moving like vehicle. <laughs> and I feel like there's been something that's happened on the boat that was very dramatic. Mm. L- basically just low-key action hero shit. Also, I'm sick. I'd like to flag that. Thing. <laughs> you always sound like this, and you sound beautiful. Anyways, Argentinian and Dutch culture in New Zealand is probably something that's a bit rarer in Aotearoa at the moment. Like, yeah, for sure. most people probably wouldn't be able to identify what Argentinian culture is, much mm. less Dutch heritage, even though we've had a huge wave of Dutch migration for a since long like time, the 50s eh? or 60s. Yeah. Um, I actually know so many Dutch people, like kids of Dutch migrants now that you talk about it. Or like, I feel like a lot of kids I knew at primary school would all call their grandparents... Oma? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. True. My friends say it's like a nightmare when they come here because they'll hear you two speaking English and then parts of Spanish and then parts of Dutch. And this was when Abuelita was here and you were speaking German to her. (laughs) So I speak German to Francisco's mum because that's the language we share. Because I grew up close to the German border and in Holland... It also does happen often that I will, languages, yeah. I will remember a word in a certain language, but not in the other two, or I'll remember it in two languages, but not in English. I've got two, yeah. <laughs> like, I think it was maybe there were so many that I just ended up learning none of them, except for English, because it's everywhere, right? I really want to learn more languages for like, I mean, it's obvious language is great, right? But you always say that it's your job times by three, you know, because you can do all your marine biology stuff, but then also do it in three different languages fluently. Um, I wouldn't say fluently. You speak every language poorly. <laughs> we were overseas and we were on the boat and like you trying to speak French with a base of French, but a lot of like hand movements and gestures and pointing and saying something in Spanish and getting him to guess. And just like the way you find out ways to talk, even though you don't know the language, is just really cool to me. We lived in Italy for a year-ish. When I was like three. I was five. I think my memories are better of it than you are. Mm. You were fluent in Italian and you forgot all of it. I went to an Italian kindergarten, spoke fluent Italian, came back to New Zealand and forgot all of it immediately. (laughs) Except for there was a full year where I could not say you're welcome in English. I only knew it in Italian. (laughs) But now I don't know it in Italian. So I have this vivid memory of wanting to say you're welcome, but just not knowing what the words were. And remembering it in Italian, but not in English at all. It's relevant because... You said once, I know you tell the story better than me, but it's when you were... Who are you talking about? Papa. He was in Italy and he was taught, and you know, you say, Italians really like to monologue. And you didn't know much Italian, but there was an Italian guy who was like talking to you. And, you know, he started, I don't know, this is a visual joke. It doesn't work on audio medium, but like... (laughs) Uh, You just gesticulate a lot and use your hands and then the guy at the end say, hey, I didn't know that you spoke so well Italian and I may have to say 10 words in the whole conversation. That entire conversation. (laughs) But it's just the gesticulation that makes the... Again, the conversation goes beyond the words Mm. most of the time. Also, that translates to humor, you know, when Mm. you're trying to do jokes in humor or, you know, the languages have associations to that. but also the culturals, you know, like uh, Dutch is very argumentative. We, we believe that a good conversation, mm-hmm. you look at the subject from all sides. And if you only have one side, that means, you know, you haven't had a good conversation because obviously it's one-sided. So yeah. I don't think that's argumentative. You that guys just <laughs> means you have to be thorough. <laughs> Which for both argumentative yeah. is an English concept. 
you would often say, obey to the kids. And I'd be going, that's, that's not how we say that. <laughs> you, can't, you can't do that. You, you can't don't do that. That's not, that's not a good concept in English. Nor is it a good concept in the culture where I come from. So, and, and you would just go, what do you mean? <laughs> That's oh. how I used to say it back home. I'm like, yeah, but, but we but have both moved on. Not just back home. You understand that <laughs> I did all my primary school yeah. on a Catholic boarding school. Then I did all my high school in the Navy. And then I went into fishing boats. So two issues there. You don't argue. Mm. You obey. Yeah, mm. you don't have to like the person next to you. You need to respect it, mm. because if that person doesn't do the job that it's supposed to do, you die. It's as simple as that. Mm. Good point. So <laughs> changes completely the way you relate to the world. Can you apply that to your children? <laughs> I don't know different. I have come down so much. Yeah. When we met, she used to criticize that I was the most Spartan man in the world. I would. <laughs> Clean everything. I would put the chairs on top of the table every night, like if it was a restaurant. You know, I had really very few things. Mm. And because I lived off a backpack for five years before coming to New Zealand mm. by being in boats through the Pacific. So I'm, I have come down a lot. When you were asking me, you know, when something is an accident, something falls in the Navy, the first thing people ask you is, Nombre, <laughs> means your name and rank. <laughs> because that will go against, you know, if it is broken and it was your responsibility comes off your salary. Ooh, yeah. name and rank. So, you know, when I go Nombre, it's just like, you know, it's just almost a joke based Instinct. on that principle, you know. But that's an important thing. You know, here, you're mostly about liking and, you know, appreciating. Mm. I spend most of the time of my life with, people that I didn't particularly like, Ooh. but I had to trust them because they were trusting me. I mean, hopefully that's changed. This is interesting, this transition, eh? From military life, from the government in Argentina that Francisco mm. would have grown up with, into life in New Zealand and family life. Yeah, that's such a huge adjustment for people who themselves, their childhoods have been like one way and mm. how do they adjust to a new culture, a new context where um, they have to raise their kids with a whole set of different values that they themselves grew up with. Mm. And and also part of that is trauma as well, like mm. a kind of a past of, or, you know, inherited trauma. And Francisco says in the video interview that we did with him that his son is going to be the first blaha in five generations to not have to go to war. Yeah. Which is amazing. It's also a huge adjustment for Vibika being married to someone with different values. For sure. Um, and they talk a bit about just how like polar opposite Holland and Argentina are in terms of values and lifestyles. I guess that's the interesting thing. Like, I grew up in Holland, which is probably one of the most liberal societies in the 70s and 80s. And then at the same time, Argentina was going through a dictature, and that was probably your, you know, formative years. Mm. So, yeah, I grew up in a very progressive society where there was a lot of freedom and a lot of freedom for kids. Nobody wears uniforms. That's seen as a, <laughs> as a horrible thing to do to kids and kids to school in uniforms. Um, it was all about self-expression, about the individual, and your formative years were during a time exactly that was... Exactly the opposite. Exactly the opposite. Yeah. And so sometimes I feel like, oh, have you guys missed something? Like, we've moved on from that now. 
Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, but you haven't. That's literally how you grew people up, and that was your reality. Yeah. People is doing it now. We were exposed to violence, yeah. street violence, and violence as part of you every day. Yeah. In a way that, you know, no one else, unless you live in that type of societies, will understand. Yeah. When I came to New Zealand, I read that uh, kids and school in Argentina had found a mass grave in the back of the school. And the reaction was they started playing football Oy. with one of their skulls. <laughs> and I was thinking how that will work here. I so know. you will have, you know, kids will be running mm. in horror. You will have, um, I don't know, uh, psychologists working police with these kids for police. You know, and the, the reaction was to start playing a football game. Yeah. I remember I must have been seven or eight the first time I saw a street shooting. You know? mm. So I remember you saying once, how so many lovely people have so many guns? You go to a restaurant and it's a guy with a shotgun in the front, you know, letting people come in and out. Mm. Particularly in Buenos Aires, the provinces are, where I come from is a bit different because there's a much more uh, sort of a tribal society or much more... Uh, the tribe, the people who used to live there before the Spaniards came still have a stronghold. Mm. But Buenos Aires is like that. And, uh, it is a very different culture. Plus, you don't trust anyone. Mm. Oh, That's the other thing. You don't trust anyone <laughs> because uh, you don't. It's you know. a paranoid society. Yeah. Every 10 yeah, years there yeah. is an economic collapse. Yeah. So, you know, you don't trust institutions. Yeah. The police is corrupt. The politicians are corrupt. You don't trust anyone. You don't trust the government. And it's yeah. slowly so to get used to a different lifestyle. You know, your grandmother brings you a present <laughs> and she brings you yeah, yeah, an yeah. envelope with dollars. Gangsta, abuela, grandmother is abuela in Spanish. So they coined it Gangsta Abuela because, you know, she comes with it. And that is her way to express love, love you know. It's an just... envelope full of cash. <laughs> <laughs> but that's so much different than your grandma who sends us like little trinkets and... Oh, it's amazing. I love it well, so Well, the much. difference is that she puts it into a bank account in Holland. So a big cultural difference was that Francisco, coming from Argentina, does not trust banks because everybody... You know, loses money to banks. Or insurances. Or insurances. <laughs> and, in, and in Holland, we trust, well, trusted at least so far, we trusted institutions. So, you know, I guess that's the thing. Like, that's when I say that society is so paranoid. Like, yeah, you literally don't trust yeah, banks, you, trust you don't anyone. trust government. Yeah, anyway. Whereas yeah. I was like, it's not safe to have your money at home, Francisco. You put it in the bank. But then. I still would. Yeah. If, <laughs> you know, if I could not have a bank account, I may not have a bank account. Yeah. But it doesn't work yeah. that way. So. Yeah, in Holland, if you yeah. steal thousands of dollars, you're a thief. In Argentina, you're a government. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh, my. Dutch people are quite famous in New Zealand for assimilating, like, hada and not speaking their own language a lot. Mm. And I was probably a bit like that when I came here, especially being, you know, New Zealand-born, so I had a passport, so I thought oh, I can just, like... Slip right in. <laughs> the My Kiwi self now. I left New Zealand when I was three years old and I had no real memories, so I feel very Dutch. But just coming back here and at the time... When I came, I sort of wanted to be not very Dutch. I didn't really want to. But I do believe that when you move countries, you all of a sudden become very aware of what it is that, um, well, I suppose all of a sudden I became quite proud of things that I thought were great about Holland and how we did things back there. <laughs> I think it is yeah. kind of strange because, well, 
I've always tried to be as proud as possible and to like showcase that I have one Argentinian parent, one Dutch parent, I have this incredible culture and stuff behind me as much as possible. And that like, I will talk about how my dad's Argentinian in Spanish class because I want it to be something that I can be proud of and be like, yo, I have this super cool culture. And so when my abuela comes here, I tell all my friends and I show her photos of them. And like, I make videos of us cooking together because I really want it to be a part of everything that I do now. And so I see mm. like all the little things you do from your culture, like cooking together is a really big thing, like asados, like how Abuela makes gnocchi by scratch every time she comes here. And how I was raised with Dutch kids books and the little clogs and all those sort of trinkets and memories, I try to have them with me as much as possible. So if I can mm. speak Spanish to a friend, I will. Because mm. mm. it's something I really want to be. So it is important for you to have that as an identity because, and to yeah, often, know what it's about. I, I look pretty white because you guys are pretty European. We're pretty white. <laughs> we are all pretty white, European which means other. people, until I say, oh yeah, my dad's from Argentina, and until they see a photo of him because you're tall and big and dark, people don't think about the culture or the history or like, oh, yeah. what if this chick has some super cool, what if she can speak Spanish, what if she can speak Dutch? Mm. Whereas with you, you have super curly hair and like that big Roman nose and it's a bit more obvious. Nielsen so noses me. I feel like I, <laughs> insult, but I feel, like, <laughs> I feel like I have to try and present that culture a lot more and I really want to, because it's something I want to have presented and to be like a part of yeah. me. This is really similar to what you've said in the past yeah. about how you love it when people see you as Sri Lankan or Indian or South Asian and yeah. not white. It, com- it comes with the whole thing of, yeah, needing to prove it. Mm. Or if people if people don't assume it and then you have to present it, you want to do that and you want to rep your culture. Yeah, I never, yeah, I didn't make that connection before. I, I think that's cool. And it also can be quite lonely mm. if you really see yourself as something and no one who doesn't know you doesn't mm. see that. Well, that's why we were really interested in the Blaha, mm. like also because they're hilarious, but mm. they have so much culture and pride in their culture. Mm. Um, but to the outside, they are such a European other mm. um, looking family, as Felix puts it. And I was saying to you when we were in Waiheke that it's something that I kind of needed to like readjust my own thoughts on because you know how so often you and I we you know say things like oh white people blah 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 do this mm-hmm. um obviously not reverse racism because reverse racism doesn't just exist. stating a symptom of structural racism <laughs> but um we can be quite dismissive with those comments For and sure. seeing like if we saw someone like Francisco or Felix on the street and we might have certain assumptions about them mm-hmm. because we assume that they haven't had to go through issues with identity mm. or culture, but they do. Because we see them as white before. Yeah. yeah. When I hear white passing migrant, when I see a white passing migrant, I definitely go, you had, a, you had it better than we did kind of thing. Yeah. Without, without taking into account all of the intricacies mm. within that. Mm. At the same time, I think they do, as a family, really acknowledge that privilege yeah, they of do. being white passing immigrants or children of white passing immigrants. Something I've heard people say is like Pakia pride, not pride in like oh. white pride, white power. Okay. But if Pakia had more pride in their culture or an acknowledgement of their culture, <gasps> rather than just thinking of themselves as the default, then kind of race relations would be a bit easier because we're not always as the other comparing ourselves with the default 
identity. Oh, that's so but interesting. But everyone acknowledges they're part of something. They're not just the normal yeah. and the other. Because do you think that also a lot of the time cultural knowledge and cultural pride comes because you have to prove mm. yourself or you mm-hmm. have to stand in yourself because you know you're not the standard? Yeah. Yeah. Mm. So I feel like that is something that this family kind of demonstrates. Yeah. I mean, yes, they definitely come from strong cultures, but they're not willing to reject that or yes. leave that behind, especially the kids. Argentina is an immigrant country in many ways. So you, I grew up with already a twisted version of what is to be Argentinian. Then when I arrived here, uh, I just couldn't believe how straightforward society was, that you actually could get a job based on your own merits. So I took that immediately into my life and I wanted you guys to grow up in a country like that. Mm. Then on the other side, I struggled with things as any immigrant would struggle. The way people drink here, how you have to basically be drunk to be happy. I was good, I think, for me, very important that I didn't have Argentinian friends when I came because that immediately obliged me to integrate. Mm. I didn't have a community. You were forced to assimilate. Your school, if, you know, people there hear you speaking Spanish, they call you Dora. (laughs) At my school, there's actually quite a few people who speak Spanish. But, yeah, I don't really get the same kind of feeling like I need to assert my cultural identity because the stuff that you guys raised me with, I take for granted, I guess. You know. Yeah, that was one thing. I felt like I either had to completely dial back, don't speak Spanish, don't speak Dutch, just become that European other, or I had to go full out and be like, this is exactly who I am and this is where I come from. Had just cut my hair quite short and they heard me speaking Spanish on the phone to you. And I got called Dora for the rest of term, which is one of the reasons I first bleached my hair. <laughs> I was like, I'm not having this at all. I'm not going to stop speaking Spanish. I'm going to make sure you can't call me Dora any other way. But for me, the interesting thing is that speaking various languages, it's only an issue for people who speak one language. I worked in the Pacific, and most people speak two or three languages. You know, the mom language, the father language, and then they speak the country language. My dad spoke German to me. My mom spoke Spanish to me, but everyone else around the village spoke Guarani. So... You see it as normal. You see it as, you know, that's the way you relate to different people. I think that it is a big deal in New Zealand because we still even have problems, you know. Have you seen the news? People striding out because they're going to teach Maori at school. <laughs> you know, when it's, what's, what's the big deal, right? What's the big deal, you know? <laughs> it's like a perspective. You know, you get a perspective. You can't really see what a culture is unless you step outside of it sometimes. You lose empathy if you only know how to speak one language. You, when you learn, learn a language, you learn a different way of thinking. When you introduce yourself in Maori, you introduce your papa from both sides. You know, it's all your history and the places you've been and all that. So it is the way of thinking more than the language. So for me, the issue of language, if you just talk, ah, oh, what's the point of learning a language if nobody speaks it? You've just seen half of the picture. Why is New Zealand so monolingual? Especially because it is an immigrant country. It's kind of weird. Well, it's, I mean... Well, because there's this great culture of assimilating and becoming part of the big group, and currently Mm. the big group is English. And I suppose we're just isolated here, right? We're far away from a lot of places, and especially, I think, English-speaking countries are at risk of being so monolingual because we're part of the big Anglo-Saxon blob. 
So you can just get away with, you know, <laughs> only thinking and living in English and you think the world is made up out of English speakers. Like, like well, it's always that funny thing where like they go, oh, people speak English there, you'll be fine. Like most English people yeah. don't make much of an effort to learn other languages. Yeah, they don't have to. Felix hit this point for me. I was impressed and... Yeah, I just think that is very, very true. Mm. We really go somewhere. And that's the first thing people say when you say you're traveling somewhere. It's yeah, like, they'll like reassure you that you'll mm. be okay with your monolingualness. <laughs> and that you don't need to get better. No, don't worry. Mm. They'll change for you. Mm-hmm. And also, I think that these guys touched on the point here about how if you already have more than one language, you're already thinking and moving and in different ways Mm. so it's easier maybe not necessarily easier to pick up a third language depending on what the language is but it's easier to understand why you need to yeah every language comes with its own worldview and you have to readjust the way you think in order to be able to like put out the language that makes sense yeah put out the language speak the language speak it (laughs) but you know like put put forth your ideas you have to restructure your brain as demonstrated so cleanly in julie and i right now julie speaks three languages and can't get out my (laughs) message (laughs) and i speak one and i yeah i just think that it's kind of humbling Hey, when we come into contact with people who do navigate those different spaces because mm-hmm. they've had to or they want to. And we really, a lot of New Zealanders can't even speak our second official language. Or can't even pronounce particular words mm-hmm. from that second language. Mm-hmm. Um, next up, we listen to Francisco talk a bit about how he's away quite a lot for work yeah. and what impact that has on his family. You know, if you start explaining what you do, it's very obscure. But, you know, I travel to really weird places. Like, you know, you know Balkans. Uh, I've been cleared out very well now by our secret forces and by the Secret customs. forces? Well, by SIS. <laughs> all those people, because they know, you know, you travel a lot. Yeah. And I understand that. I do yeah. risk profiling of fishing vessels. I mean, you know, I know that you're a fisheries inspector and a fisheries officer, but you are doing everything in your power to make it sound like you are totally not, you know, the, the secret services. Yeah, and also because you're... You're not, very often you're not here. So a lot of people think you don't exist. <laughs> yeah, well, you guys, you know, so yeah. I'm, I'm actually Fibica's husband in the island yeah. because, you know, yeah. I'm apparently, no, I'm not here a lot, six months yeah. a year. I feel like it's, yeah, I mean, it's worth mentioning the conditions under which Kiko and me were raised. <laughs> oh, yeah, because Considering... well, you weren't there that often. Well, oh, six I months a year. Let me six months a year. Well, yeah, here's the thing. So I'm not at once. I don't think... I, I, fine, you're great. <laughs> but, I mean, uh, invariably affects, you know, how I was raised if you weren't here for half the year. Which means, as well, I learned a lot more Dutch than I did in Spanish. Yeah. Which, hey, I mean, that's how it works. It maybe makes, makes your dad a little bit more enigmatic. Yes, I think for a long time that was, that was <laughs> the case. i become more comfortable, but it used to be a lot more of the kind of, you know... Look, it's still the fisherman's life, you know. So yeah, don't I mean, go on a plane instead of going on a on a boat. But yeah, you know, that's a lot of people live like that, you know. If you work in the mines, if you work in forestry, if you work in fishing, if you work in the navy, or oh. if you work in the army, you just go and then come back with money. And then on the other side, when I'm home, I'm home. 
I make coffee for her when she wakes up. I make food for you guys. I'm here. <laughs> I take care of things, you know. I love being <clears throat> home. Yeah, I think it was a lot tougher when I had two little kids, you know, when I when I had when you were toddlers or babies, um, because that's such a 24-hour job, 24-hour, seven-days-a-week job. So and you managed it. <laughs> oh, come I on, managed you, it. You did it well. Well, I think one of those things is that I probably get island fever living on Waiheke Island. Like, the winters can be a bit winters long suck. and dark, and that's often when Francisco's away travelling. Which, I mean... Um, which is understandable, because, you know, I also want you to be here in summer. So we can hang out. But yeah, when the kids were little, it was pretty intense. So I was like a, probably like a solo parent, except that, you know, you did bring some money home. That was good. <laughs> one of your wedding vows, you'd make her coffee every morning? Yeah. There's only one when, vow. When I'm home. <laughs> I make her coffee every morning I can. So I think probably in that sense, it was quite a traditional arrangement we had, as in I had the main responsibility for the kids, so I didn't really have a career. Yeah. Um, when he's home, he is very involved in the household, so it mm. doesn't feel like... He does cook. I mean, you have to make him put vegetables in the food, but, you know, he does cook. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah, like, we have a different tactic. And so it was often a lot harder for Francisco to come in to the family because I might have my own little routine. So it would often take, like, a week and then we'd have like a big argument or something like that. And then you would slide into the family again. Then we'd have our own balance. But then you would leave again. So I think when you guys were little, it was hectic, it was hectic and it was really intense. And I was often quite exhausted. <laughs> but now you guys are bigger. I feel Francisco just misses out on more cool stuff because you're teens now. And there's Able to do lots things. of really awesome stuff that, yeah. you know, you want to be part of. And you become more aware as a parent that soon you'll leave us and you'll leave home. And so now I think um, you maybe feel the pull more to be home more. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, definitely. because before you were like, oh, my God, <laughs> get out of can here. I, yeah. I mean, I, I should say, like, it was also the fact that I was sort of, and I, I can say this because it's me, I was sort of a problem child. <laughs> no. Yes, I mean, no. you say no. You say no because it's a pleasure to... You're slightly intense. Intense. <laughs> you can put it that way. Yeah, and you're yeah. still... I mean, I won't. I mean, I won't get into detail, but it was this weird thing where, like, I was raised by you, and then you would come in every once in a while, and I already had a hard time articulating stuff. But it was sort of like I had to figure out how to deal with you, and it wasn't. It took me a long time to. Um, uh, it took me a long time to just get familiar. I mean, the most memory I have of being with you is when we were in Italy, because then you did being have. Being a dad. Yes, yeah. with Papa Francisco, yeah. sorry I should specify, was being in Italy because then you did have a job and it would always be I go to school, I come back, I take the bus, you pick us I up meet you school. at the FAO where you were working and we go to Angeli and Diavoli, little pizza place, I get pizza and we go home. And I think that was when I had the most consistent like... Interaction, uh, yeah. Yeah, interaction with you. But otherwise it was always sort of just... I didn't miss you because you were gone so consistently. You were used to that. I was used to that, you know, it was part of the... I mean, it did make me sort of a weird kid. I do know that when I was a lot younger, I was never really as close to you <laughs> because, of course, I was just always with mum. But now that... I guess now that I'm slightly older, although I still am quite young, um, I think it's something I can accept more and then I just try to be closer to you. So, like, I will call you often when you're away or I'll mm. text you and... You have to be more deliberate we found, about it. We found new ways to be a family and be close. 
Mm. And it is like quite, it's kind of sad knowing like, oh, I would love to have him here to watch my show or I'd love to have him here to watch this concert or this competition or to be there for this birthday party. <laughs> and I think that you still put in that effort even if you can't be there. Something that strikes me so much about this and that has hit me a lot throughout this journey of this podcast is the way that you tell someone that you're sad and you're disappointed in them but you say it with love Mm, yeah like you you don't you're not trying to punish anyone you're not trying to you're not even necessarily trying to change anything you're trying to acknowledge your feelings Mm -hmm. in the situation and Mm -hmm. why it's been hard for you and I just think that's a really amazing thing that we do within our families I'm not an immigrant like either of you. I am a child of immigrant. I grew up here, I was raised here. I can't say how immigrants are treated here. That's something more you could say, but I can say how I've seen you be treated and the stories you've told me. For me, it's in, I can put it in one anecdote that happened to me. Uh, a group of two New Zealanders were talking to me and they were being, you know, kind of racist against immigrants. Yeah, vague undercurrent. And I was like, you know, oh, mate, you know, oh, you know, just... And they go, mate, didn't you hear my accent? You know, it's like... Oh, no, but you're different, mate. You know, I thought that the fact that they can start separating in between immigrants was a bit weird. So the thing was about Asian immigration, which is something that happens over the last few years. And they were going, oh, you know, you go up to Queen Street, you know, it's all, they're all hanging out together. They all talk the same thing, you know, and they, you see even the signs are written in their own language, they don't integrate. And I say to him, oh, it's great. So finally you understood how Maori felt about your grandfather. And he went, ah, oh, mate, it's not the same. It's like, yeah, it's totally the same. Oh, it is the same. Totally the same. It's probably just harmful, but like, people have their personal sort of biases, but in New Zealand, we're talkative, we're friendly, and we have this sort of drive to be polite. And so, unless you are a full on, full blown, I'm going to scream at you in the streets racist, people tend to keep it inside. It's subtle. But it's I subtle. think it's changing. It's I think it's becoming, I think it's becoming more overt. Oh, yes. Definitely, I think. But then who am I to speak to that? Because I wouldn't get that. Like, I know that your half-brother and half-sister here have been told to speak English when they were speaking Spanish. And I found that quite shocking, but I'm hearing it more and more. The thing is that people are saying they only want immigration of their kind of people. That's what they want. And you you and I, we sit on the Waiheke ferry and we go, there's so many Brits here. Where are all the Poms from? (laughs) And that, that seems to be... That's not the immigration that people talk about, but that's such a large percentage of the immigration. And I don't, I don't know, like those are, those are probably the subtleties yeah, that we it's this, notice. The concept, being, it's, it's not immigration it's unless it's number, not white. It's the biggest number still English. Uh, well, people, people from, from the, the UK. People from the UK is still yeah. the biggest number in, of immigrants. In but that's Europe. never, when people talk about immigration, that's it's, never the yeah. immigration they're talking about. It's yeah. the concept that it's not immigration unless it's not white. Somebody, we had visitors and they said, oh, well, you've got the expat lifestyle. And I was like, hang on a minute, just because I'm white, it doesn't mean I'm an expat, right? I'm, I'm literally an immigrant, you know? Mm-hmm. Not right. That's just a weird, you know, thing that Some we do in our mental brains. Gymnastics. I mean, it's, but we all yeah. somehow buy into it. I've lived here all of my life. And even though right now I'm spending 70% of my time in a boarding house, across the waves, I still consider this place home. If we moved to a place while Papa was away and he wasn't there until he came back, I would not call that place home. Right. Because 
the home for me is somewhere where all of us are completely together. Oh, home is Waihiki for me. So I think I've sort of gotten Waihiki's little subculture and that made that my own, hmm. you know? Island boy? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> island boy. Yeah, this is home now for me, this Waihiki Island. I'm sort of glad that Felix is saying it's Waihiki and I'm really glad that Kika is saying it's where we all are together um, because I felt you guys didn't need a bit of a place to maybe look back on going, that's where I grew up. And then when we came to Waiheke, it sort of had the right mix of... Just weird people. Yeah. <laughs> but then for me, I, I always feel like I'm always going to be almost split in half. Um, and when I'm in New Zealand, I miss things about Holland. And when I'm in Holland, I... Miss things about New Zealand. I really miss things about New Zealand. It's, you know, I've now, I'm now literally half my life here, half my life there. So I'm completely torn. I'm torn forever. <laughs> <laughs> oh, for me, it's... Um, I live here because I want to. I could live um, with the connect with the collection of passports and thankfully with my education and background, I could live in most countries will take me as an immigrant. But this is where I choose to live. This is home and uh, particularly Palm Beach. Mm. Um, I don't know, there's the Maori tradition of having uh, the placentas of your babies buried in the backyard or buried underneath a tree. Both your placentas are in uh, in the Palm Beach, because yeah. this is where I feel home. This place gave me pretty much everything you see around, including you guys. So this is home. It's yeah. not a picture. place where you have to be. It's a place where you want to be. Yeah. yeah. A lot of conversations that are essential don't happen because they don't need to, right? Like you don't. It's not very often that you turn to someone and you say the thing that you deeply feel about them because we just go through our lives and everything just happens and, you know, blah, blah, blah. Like, I don't think I... I don't... I didn't... There was a lot of stuff I didn't tell my mum until she had a heart attack. She had a heart attack? Yeah, yeah. I mean, she's fine. She's completely fine. But, yeah, she had a heart attack and I kind of... It, it's like stuff comes up when it absolutely needs to come up mm. or when three strangers walk into your house for two days and push you to have conversations that are about identity and which are long and where you have to sit down, look at someone and tell them how you feel about them. I think it's something that's probably just between lots of parents and kids, not even just immigrant parents for and sure. kids. Just sure. communication barriers. We don't articulate all the feelings that we have for each other and they're so complicated and messy. Like mm. the deep emotional feelings that you have for your parents, the resentments, the sympathy, the things you feel so guilty for that your parents have done or maybe your children have done. And to be forced into a situation where you have to hash out all the things. Um, yeah, it's different. Yeah, true. So we just wanted to end with saying a huge thank you to the Blaha family, to Francisco, Fibica, Felix and Kika and their dog Nina for hosting us for two whole days, showing us Waiheke, going on a boat for us, doing everything we asked them to do and mostly cooking us that big, huge meal. We had such a great time and we really appreciate it. Thank you for listening. You can check out photos and videos of all our participants on Instagram at ConvosWithMai, on Facebook at Where Are You From Really, and on RNZ's website. 
Conversations with My Immigrant Parents was created, produced and directed by Julie Zhu and Saray De Silva. Recorded by Joey Siasoko, sound engineered by Colleen Brennan, with original music by Tal. Our cover illustration is by Ngaumutanu Jones at Ms. Mimo, with design by Sonia Milford. RNZ supervising producers are Sarah Vuitalitu and Justin Gregory. RNZ senior commissioner on this project is Kay Almers. Conversations with My Immigrant Parents was made possible by the RNZ NZ On Air Innovation Fund. He konai ipurangi tēnei mō te reo irirangi o Aotearoa. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.